Travel Podcast. Today, we have Umar Munshi, who is currently based in Kuala Lumpur. He is the co-founder of Ethis and also the CEO of Global Sadaka. Welcome, Umar. Thanks for coming on board today's episode. Thank you for coming. It's not like it's already finished. Thanks. So maybe you can share a bit more about um, the two companies that you, you run. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Thank, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, glad to be on the show. <laughs> uh, <but> yeah. <laughs> for Ethics and Global Sudeka, uh, I mean, Global Sudeka is a platform that's part of the the bigger brand or the main brand of Ethics. Mm-hmm. And uh, for Ethics, essentially, we are a group of companies that run fintech, uh, specifically crowdfunding, uh, crowd investment platforms, and uh, we focus on Right now, the main region is Southeast Asia. We have the licenses and approvals in Malaysia, Indonesia, and we focus on investing and uh, also providing social funds to impactful projects. They are also Sharia compliant. Yeah, so perhaps you could share with us a little bit more about the difference between crowdfunding as well as the investment, um, the crowdfunding investment. I think something along. I guess like uh, when we think about crowdfunding, it's usually for like a chari- charitable organizations or charitable causes, right? So what is then the difference between crowdfunding as well as crowdfunding investment? Sure. I think there's a very good question because there are many terms flying around. Yeah. And the meaning of certain terms also can differ based on, like for example, in Malaysia and Indonesia, the regulators use specific terms or specific activities that are used differently in other countries. Hmm. So I, th- I guess the most, uh, when you talk about the word crowd, the the initial uh, term used was crowdsourcing, mm-hmm. which includes funding as well as other things, you know, doing things together, contributing together, contributing effort, um, uh, thing, contributing items and money. And then uh, crowdfunding became more popular where it's mostly funds. So the term crowdfunding typically is quite wide, like covers anything uh, to anything that uh, resembles raising funds for a specific cause or company on a platform. So it can be for investment, it can be for charity, it can be to get something, it can be to help a friend. You know, uh, So crowdfunding, I guess, is a more general term that, that covers or encompasses everybody. But a lot of people have their first interaction with crowdfunding on social focus mm-hmm. platform. Yes, that's, that's true. Their perception sticks. Uh, but today, there's because of uh, the way technology moves and the model evolving, mm-hmm. uh, a more common term is u- that's used now is marketplace uh, financing. So this mm-hmm. is where there's a marketplace. Those looking for funds come to the marketplace and those who want to provide funds also come to the marketplace to match their funds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so when I, you know, when I looked at the website, um, your website for Ethis. Uh, I think in the past, I think I chanced upon it, but then I was a bit confused because, you know, there's the rate of return, there's like um, um, funds raised. So because there is the word investment in it, um, usually when it comes to investing, what we think of is um, you'll get some form of a dividend or um, you'll get some profit in terms of investing your money. So how does it work for Ethis? Sure. So we have two types of 
when you talk about investment, we have two different platforms with two different activities in two different countries. Mm-hmm. And we also have Global Sedeka, which I'll touch on later on mm-hmm. um, when you ask me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so for Atis, the, the investment platforms, since everybody's interested to invest right now. Mm, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's flooding my YouTube, <laughs> YouTube ads. <laughs> Oh, the Atis, Atis uh, investments? Uh, basically, investments in general. Personal like, investments. Yeah, personal investments, etc. Yep, yep. I think it's very important and there's a lot of interest now, especially mm-hmm. uh, in the younger generation. The, bulk, the, the biggest group of investors we have are millennials. Mm. Um, although those who put in larger amounts are the you know, slightly older age group, but most of the transactions come you know, from the millennial group. Um which I'm at the tail end of. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, as you were saying, so the main platform we have is Atis Indonesia, atis.co slash ID. Or you can just go to atis.co, everything is linked from there. For Indonesia, you provide financing. That means uh, businesses with projects or programs or opportunities or contracts, they need some funds. Mm-hmm. And you know that with those funds, they can complete some work or project and get paid. And then they can share the profits. Mm. So that's what we do in Indonesia. So you can see it's typically quite short term, like two, two months, three months, up till sometimes it goes longer to a year or two mm. years. Uh, in that period, your funds as an investor is pooled with all the rest in the community mm. to reach that target. Once that target is reached, then the funds are given to the develop, to the project owner. They do the project. They complete the project. They get paid or they get income and profit. And then they share it with you. So mm. it's basically like project financing, I guess, mm. is a common term. For Malaysia, it's a bit different. Um, and it's, I guess, something people are less familiar with, where you invest to own a share or own shares in private companies. It's like buying stocks, mm-hmm. but not of public, public companies, of private companies, of startups, um, of innovative companies, and so on. Mm-hmm. So for Malaysia, it's like, I guess, a mini public listing where companies come to us, we do the screening and whatnot, we put it on the platform, and then you, the public, can see and check and read and try and understand and decide whether you want to invest. And so we, that's how we are a marketplace for investment. I see. Since we're on the topic of like startups or whatever, right? So could you share with us some of the few startups that um, are already with Atis and what do they do? Sure. I think um, the bulk of our activity, we've been in Indonesia for six years. So most of the activities are there. And most of them are not really startups. They are quite uh, mature companies which get you know good contracts, good business, mm. impactful business, and then you earn income from there. But for startups, it's something newer because in Malaysia, uh, we got the license. It's called equity crowdfunding. In Indonesia, it's financing or lending or P2P crowdfunding. Right? It's two different things. So in Malaysia, we have had a few startups. Um, we funded uh, a, a delivery kitchen or ghost kitchen. Mm. The is those kind of kitchens. Cloud that, kitchen, I yeah, call it. Yes, cloud kitchen. Or I don't know why here they chose the term ghost, ghost kitchen. Ghost kitchen. Guide, guide, guide. So yeah, they 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 basically uh, they raised some funds. We passed a few hundred thousand ringgit. Um, there's a few exciting ones coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, one in at the energy mm-hmm. space uh, for solar power and mm-hmm. so on. Another one in agriculture, uh, mm-hmm. food security, happy, helping farmers to buy machinery and equipment, uh, those kind of things. So for startups, 
a lot uh, have come to us mm-hmm. uh, in the past few months, uh, but we've been quite selective in what we put on the platform. Mm. Mm. You mentioned that the bulk of your audience are millennials, which is us. So I want to know um, how much do you need to, if you want to invest in in something, let's say you're talking about the Indonesia sort of projects, what, how large of a sum do you need and how small of a sum do you need to actually participate in? Sure. Um, well, there are actually two, I mean, every platform is different. Mm-hmm. So for Indonesia, the minimum is typically a little bit or significantly higher than Malaysia mm-hmm. because most of the investors come from other countries are from abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so typically it's the you know investors who have more funds uh, to invest, who are more interested in cross-border investment mm-hmm. or people from countries like Singapore where there's not much to invest in uh, in Singapore because it's so saturated. Mm-hmm. Then you look for other countries. Like most of our investors are from Singapore. Mm. Uh, fifty plus percent mm-hmm. come from Singapore right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the minimum for Indonesia is ten thousand Sing dollars per mm-hmm. project for investment mm-hmm. per transaction. For mm-hmm. Malaysia, uh, anyone can invest from any country. Uh, the one is three thousand ringgit. So it's about a mm. thousand sing typically. Okay, so that amount is smaller, slightly smaller in Malaysia than in Indonesia. Yeah, much smaller. Okay. We actually didn't have much smaller minimums in the past. Uh, at one point, it was $250. Mm. Uh, but we realized that a lot of the investors who came in, they you know, maybe were not ready to take this kind of high-risk investments. Mm. Yeah, and, and after some time, it's very clear, most of them did not read, did not, did not understand. Mm. They just followed their friend or something like that. Right. So the minimum is low. Mm. Uh, and then later on, they don't know what's going on and, and you know, mm. it becomes difficult for us to manage their mm-hmm. understanding and expectations. Mm. So that's why now we're working with, you know, mostly investors who are more serious, mm-hmm. typically with a little bit more money. Mm. And at least for, for Malaysia or Indonesia, um, these investors coming in, um, would there be someone... Like um, like a key account manager or something that actually advises you on which project to invest in and kind of follow up on your portfolio, or is it very transparent? Like you take the initiative to, uh, you know, look at which projects that you want to do. Everything is on your own and it's very independent. Yeah. So so as a platform, mm-hmm. our role is to provide uh, disclosures and also to get to to basically to verify and validate uh, the company or the project that wants to raise funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't we, we don't uh, do you know, the term typically is due diligence mm-hmm. uh, or advisory for investors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a platform, you know, we collate, we vet, we curate, and then you make your own decision if you like it, right. if you want to go for it, uh, and so on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, internally, we do have quite a robust process to approve projects, but mm-hmm. that's more for internal purposes mm-hmm. to make sure that we have a certain standard or quality on the platform. Okay. Very interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't have known otherwise because I know like these terms have been floating around for a while and you know, it's you really have to do your own research to find out and there's so much resource online that it gets still gets very confusing trying to understand and also trying to figure out which ones are Sharia compliant. Um, it's also it's also not easy. Yeah. So, so I'm kind of just asking all the questions I want to ask. <laughs> <'cause you're laughs> <all asking>, right? <laughs> also like, um, like what uh, Rada said, like Sharia compliant, like as Muslims, when we want to invest, we yep. think that some if something is Sharia compliant, baru kita boleh invest. So like what is it uh, about investment that makes it non-Sharia compliant or what makes it Sharia compliant? Sure. So, um, you know, I got to give a disclaimer first that I'm not a Sharia yeah. scholar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the basics are quite straightforward. 
Um, essentially, I would say you can put it under two categories. One is the nature of the business or the nature of the transaction, uh, meaning what's the activity, what's the product, you know, what's the company. So anything that has any non-halal elements, um, those ones would be screened out. Right. Mm-hmm. So anything to do with uh, gambling, mm-hmm. um, you know, creating injustice, um, pornography, uh, mm-hmm. even uh, a very common one oh. is companies that have a lot of non-halal income, mm-hmm. typically from interest. Yep. Right. Because uh, you know a lot of big companies they have cash and they 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 stash their cash somewhere to get some interest income. So if that's not halal, then there are certain you know uh, uh, parameters that we need to look at. So the first one is business activity. And the second one are all these different financial ratios. Mm-hmm. Do they have you know a lot of uh, debt with non-halal income? Are they over leveraged? Do they borrow a lot? Uh, and do they earn uh, you know non-halal income uh, among other things? So so when you're investing in a project, typically is a little bit uh, I would say easier because we are looking at that particular transaction. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll give you an example in a short while. Um, whereas if you look at a company, then you have, because you're buying into the company, then you have to make sure the company is Sharia compliant, right? So there may be, for example, um, uh, a company that has activities that are halal and activities that are not halal. So you can invest in the activities that are not halal as a financer, right? That are, that are halal as a financer. Um, but you may not want to invest in the company itself because it also has other activities, Mm-hmm. That's not halal. Yeah. So so this this a part of our key role to make sure that everything on the platform is Sharia compliant. Um, oh. And uh, yeah, we have an internal Sharia advisor, external Sharia advisor, Sharia audits, and and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. I'm like I said, I'm not a Sharia scholar. I'm a business <laughs> person. Um, but you know, a lot of times, a lot of things that we assume are okay, assume are fine. But when you go at it with a Sharia lens. Uh, you know, by the experts, then you'll find things that you never thought of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for example, do you have an example where that happened? Yeah, so let's say in in startup funding, right? Uh, a lot of uh, companies, if you're familiar, at an early stage, they will not fix a value when they bring in an investment. They will say, okay, I need hundred thousand dollars to reach this point. I don't know what's my price now because I'm still new. And uh, I don't know what shares to give you now because I don't know what's my value. What we can do is you give me this 100K. Uh, in a year's time, if I find another bigger investor because your money helped me grow, uh, then you get the future valuation at a discount or with a cap. Okay? Mm-hmm. You follow? It's a bit complex, actually. But yeah, uh, this is called a safe note, simple agreement for future equity. Yeah. Uh, and it's very common. Any startup that wants to raise money, you Google how to raise money for early stage startup. First thing you see is use a safe note. Mm-hmm. And the name is very catchy. So simple agreement for future equity. However, when you go at it and you look at it from the Sharia perspective, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty that can create injustice in the end or create uh, problems uh, between the parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that uncertainty, uh, then the Sharia scholars uh, believe that it's not uh, suitable. Mm-hmm. Right? There's also another angle where this person is actually lending you money. So you know you, you, you are taking in the money, you're not mm-hmm. giving him anything. Mm-hmm. Right? Later on, you may give him some shares. Yeah. So then it becomes a loan. And once it becomes a loan, the person giving the loan is not supposed to have 
direct financial benefit mm-hmm. uh, because then it becomes interest. Right. Mm. Yeah. So, so I mean, these are quite. Uh, I mean, I guess this is why a deep issue, but mm. uh, it's something that is fresh in my mind because we've been discussing about it the past few months. Right. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And like, I hear echo. <laughs> okay. So basically, uh, I was wondering, like, so for companies under ethics, so are they all um like become to become Sharia compliant? Does it mean that you have to be started up by Muslim or is it all of it? Uh has something to do with a Muslim organization, etc., or is it different? Like anyone can invest with Atis as long as they are Sharia compliant. Yeah. So for both sides, it can be Muslims or non-Muslims, just like halal food, right? Yeah. Or halal travel for that matter. Yeah. So, I mean, a halal, a halal certified or halal endorsed a uh, hotel it can be owned by non-Muslim mm-hmm. and can serve non-Muslims and of course for Muslims as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that we we try to support, um, I mean, without excluding other things that are halal, uh, is you know uh, projects and pro and companies that are focused on the Islamic economy, mm-hmm. uh, where you know it is targeted and it is. Um, created in a way that it serves not only the Muslim needs but also the deeper intention and objectives of the Sharia. Okay. So now we're going to talk about global sadaka. Yeah, I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how does global sadaka differ from from ethics? Yeah, global sadaka, as the name implies, is uh, focused on non-worldly gain. Mm-hmm. Right, it's for one-way transaction where you give. You contribute, you donate, you give zakat, you make wakaf, and mm-hmm. so on. So you don't, as, as a crowdfunder, you don't get any any you know worldly uh, commercial benefit. Right. In mm-hmm. Yeah. So so um, it's similar in the sense that both are crowdfunding platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning for both, it's not our money, it's not the company's money, it's not ethics of the person that has the funds, and it's not our projects as well. Right, mm-hmm. we are matchmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so for Global Sedeka, what we do is, um, there are a lot of crowdfunding platforms out there already mm-hmm. for charity. A lot of good ones as well. A lot of big ones. Mm-hmm. How we want to, you know, differentiate ourselves is um, by providing more credibility and more transparency uh, for the campaigns that we raise for. Mm-hmm. So if you want to raise funds for your neighbor, for example, and you come to Global Sedeka, even though your neighbor may need the money and it's a valid case, you won't be able to take it on. Because mm. we only work with NGOs, organizations, charities. Right. Uh, so credible sources. Uh. Yeah. Because individuals sometimes, although I'm sure there are a lot of individuals yes. doing great work, but it's very difficult to check and mm. confirm mm. Correct, that yeah. money is utilized properly mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And uh, for, for of course we just ended Ramadan, so Ramadan yeah. is a you know super busy period for global sedeka. Uh-huh. And what we saw, which is very um, quite incredible, I would say, is people putting in, and they may be wealthy people, I don't know, but essentially people putting in larger amounts than ever before mm. compared to the past. Mm-hmm. And if you donate online, I guess you would assume you donate ten dollars, twenty dollars, fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. But this time around, there were individuals donating 20, 50, 100,000 mm, wow. uh, ringgit. 
And the biggest donor was actually by name a non-Muslim, mm. uh, a Chinese guy. I mean, oh. I don't know whether he's Muslim or not. Mm. <laughs> this gentleman donated $180,000 throughout Ramadan. Wow. Wow. Sorry, sorry, ringgit. $180,000 ringgit, mm-hmm. which is about $60,000, mm-hmm. which is not heavy. Yeah. I mean, we don't know who he is. We don't know where mm. he's from. We don't know anything about him. He doesn't know anything about us except what's on the platform. Mm. Right? And do you uh, guys reach out to him? Uh, we probably will. <laughs> yeah, collect, we are sifting through our data now. Mm. Uh, and uh, the other thing interesting is we are one of the few such platforms that allow crypto donations. Oh, okay. tell uh, us about uh, cryptocurrency. <laughs> it's a whole other kind yeah. of words. Yeah. yeah, for two hours, I can. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge thing. I mean, yeah. I have family members who are into this whole cryptocurrency yeah. and like I think a lot of people I think maybe maybe in the Malay community where I grew up in grew up in we're still very very uh not confident or rather very very skeptical about this cryptocurrency uh bitcoin apentalah all these like different currencies so tell us more about um cryptocurrency like why do you guys even choose to have cryptocurrency in global sadaqah sure Uh, to answer your question first, before talking about cryptos, the simple answer is there are people and there are Muslims who hold on to cryptos, and they want to donate or give zakah on their zakah mm-hmm. on their cryptos, and they want to do it online directly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So since there are people like that, we should facilitate and serve their need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a receiver, a recipient, um, I mean, on behalf of the beneficiaries. Uh, of donations one thing interesting that I want to highlight is for most charitable transactions you can receive funds that are not technically not halal mm-hmm. right I mean I'm not saying cryptos are not halal yep. there are views that mm-hmm. it's not halal there are views that it's halal and that's why it's going to be a long discussion if mm-hmm. we go into that <laughs> uh, but as a recipient or beneficiary you can receive non-halal income Yeah, it's sort of like yeah. a way to purify your wealth, right? You know, I've come across actually um, e-commerce platforms. So you can purchase items. Exactly. You, you can you purchase using crypto, like clothes or whatever. Yeah. Oh, interesting. One of the sources of funds that we target in Malaysia, uh, there are a lot of Islamic banks and Islamic finance organization institutions here. So they have to give away some of their income which is considered tainted or mm-hmm. non-halal. So how do they give it away? By giving it to charity. Yeah. Right. So, so that's where we come here to collect this so-called not-so-clean money. Uh, but once it's given for charity, it becomes something that the charity can use. Mm. The only sensitivity is maybe if you want to use it for a place of worship or mosque or, you know, then maybe it becomes a bit sensitive. Mm. But if it's to help poor people, it's to help relief efforts and so on. Inshallah, no problem. Yeah, so what type of cryptocurrencies do you accept in terms of like for global sedaka? Is it just Bitcoin or is it like um, Ethereum as well? Or? Yep. Uh, we accept the, the major uh, cryptos. I think five, six different cryptos. Mm. Yeah. And then to touch on your earlier question about cryptos, I think it's not so much about the crypto itself. There's the, 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 the controversial part from an Islamic perspective. It's more on how people are speculating on it, yep. basically. Mm. So, for example, horse riding, horse racing is something that is encouraged in Islam. But today, a lot of the horse racing involves gambling, right? 
So it's not the horse that's haram. It's the, it's the gambling on the horse's activities, right? Mm. So it, it's, it's quite similar, I guess, as an analogy. Annyeong, welcome to Jeju, South Korea, the island of beautiful nature, the best beaches, and home to some of the most scenic road trips. Indulge in only the best classic and halal Korean food scene and enjoy the laid-back lifestyle here on this island. Get your legs ready to hike up the Songsan Iltubong to see the amazing view of this little town and maybe say hello to the Henyo, the majestic female divers right by the ocean. And one thing you can never miss on this island is the million dollar sunset at Depo Chisang Jolly Cliff. All of that right here in Jeju, South Korea. Mm, okay. Uh, I mean, you, you started Athis first uh, before Global Sadaka, am I right? Um, and, and just, I guess, just wondering what suddenly you woke up one day and just realized that this is something that you wanted to do. How, how did you embark on that journey? Sure. Um, it actually started uh, when I had a realization uh, about Islamic finance. In a sense, I discovered Islamic finance. Mm. That was about, I think, seven, eight, eight years ago. So I was doing business in Indonesia. I was mm. doing quite well for a period of time. Um, and then the business, you know, basically uh, closed down, right? There were some problems with the supplier and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it closed down and it closed down very suddenly. So I was not prepared for it. And financially, I got into trouble at a quite young age. Mm. So in Singapore, uh, I had, you know, cars and so on that mm-hmm. were repossessed by the bank. And so I became indebted to all these finances mm-hmm. and had to pay, you know, how it works, right? Mm-hmm. All the different penalties and fees and whatnot. So that's when I realized that something was not right with, with this system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last time when I was doing well, uh, all the financial institutions were my friends. Mm-hmm. And when you're not doing well, then that's where they try to... They yeah, become your Thai long. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, it was it was quite a, a I guess a significant event in my life, mm. and that's where I started. Someone introduced Islamic finance to me, and the initial theory of what I read resonated a lot with me, and I was quite blown away that this is something I did not know. How, how mm. could I not know something like this as a Muslim? Right. Mm. I think today, Alhamdulillah, the, the, the understanding is is more. The awareness is more. This was I think yeah, eight nine years ago, yeah, quite some time back. So then, um, me and a few friends, we started a company called Amana Asset Management. And um, we started doing two things. One was providing education, courses, talks, events that are free and paid to educate people about Islamic finance in Singapore. The second thing we did was we tried to pull in Islamic finance services and providers from overseas uh, into Singapore. The first one was quite successful. Uh, we did, we built a community and the second one was not successful because nobody set up in Singapore in the end. Mm. And and then we had this situation where um, we had a community looking for solutions and services, but there were none available in the market. And so the idea of crowdfunding came about. It was to serve a need in the Singapore Muslim community for halal investment. Mm. Yeah. And when we started in 2014, um, there were no regulations and in fact nobody 
really understood what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it did take some time for us to you know pivot, adjust, and and so on until we reach a certain point where we are uh, you know we've been given licenses and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. by that time uh, it was essentially that to serve the need of the Muslim community in Singapore for halal investments. Yeah, so there was the original mission. Um, the mission grew. We realized that we were one of the pioneers globally, mm-hmm. accidentally, um, and that the need was very high. And somehow the Islamic finance community um, globally, uh, a lot of the individuals and, and organizations became quite um, excited about what we were doing. Um, you know, we didn't know that we were uh, sort of pushing like a, revol- a mini revolution of Islamic finance, mm. uh, where these people could see. It. You know, we we didn't know we were just doing something to help our own community. Mm. Yeah, and what I mean by that is, in many countries, Islamic finance has not managed to reach the masses. Mm-hmm. It's yep. basically banking, which is mostly serving the wealthier, mm-hmm. and um, you know, large uh, fund managers investing in large companies. So uh, the true Islamic finance is about you know how we can uplift society, right? Mm-hmm. So when we started doing this kind of direct financing to projects and companies with impact in a country like Indonesia, the Muslim world, uh, you know, that, that, that we managed to reach to online, uh, became quite excited and started supporting us. So that's mm-hmm. how we grew. And today the mission is, is to lead a new wave of Islamic finance, inshallah. Mm-hmm. That's for humanity. Mm-hmm. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's quite a struggle, especially when you want to invest um, as a Muslim because you're always mm-hmm. very skeptical about um, whatever funds and um, companies in the market because most of the time we don't have the time mm-hmm. to actually sit down and be like Warren Buffett and go through each one of the company analysis. So I really do see that more um, companies like yourself are going to pop up and give more options for um Muslims as well. Lah. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, right now I can see also in the market right now, there is um, a lot of the Sharia compliant ETF funds as well uh, popping up, although it's quite new, but it seems like it's getting traction nowadays. And I think it's more about gaining uh, or rather marketing and promoting to mm-hmm. Muslims on how to um, invest invest, yeah. and educate them. So I think one of the things that you have done recently was the Back to Basics Islamic Finance recently, right? The four-part educational webinar. How has it been? I think the response has been really great. Uh, I, I don't have the numbers now, but there were at least a few hundred people, I believe, uh, per session, or those who signed up. And um, quite it was from all around the world. That's the thing that's interesting. No. Uh, but mm. given that it's Ramadan, uh, some you know, a number also said that they couldn't come at that time and so on. Mm. But we've shared all the material and recordings. So mm. uh, this is something that we, we will continue to do. Like what Nurul say, I think I think there's a huge interest. I think in this area, um, education. I think is one of the main key factors. I think there's a lot of people who are interested, but they probably don't know where to start. Um, maybe what advice would you give to um, Muslims or people who want to look at this? I uh, want to start dabbling in you know investing and and are afraid to maybe take the first step. Um, and what what are some of the things that you should look out for? Sure. So I think for Muslims uh, who are looking to start their journey to invest, um, you need to understand, you know, I mean, not need, but it'll be good to understand some of the basics of Islamic finance. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of good you know, webinars, videos, material online that you can easily get access to, including the stuff that we came up with and that we shared. Um, the second thing is to really understand why you're doing it. 
right? Which also then leads to other things like your risk appetite and so on. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a man to supposed to give financial advice. But what I'll say is, um, as a Muslim, I think the worldview of money and how you spend it is the most fundamental thing. First of all, that you should think about, mm-hmm. and then inshallah will help you in your investment journey and and your decision making. Right. Mm-hmm. So let me give you an example. Uh, one of my friends who's also a shareholder, he's, he's, a, he's a big fund manager from Europe, Muslim guy. Now, he invests you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for large institutions that are you know, Sharia compliant funds. But he himself personally, although he's a high income individual, he does not invest in those same things. Because mm-hmm. he says, I have you know enough salary for myself and my family. Whatever extra money I have, I want to use it to support Muslim entrepreneurs. Mm. And that's what he does. He only invests in new initiatives or good entrepreneurs that he sees around them, around him. And he doesn't invest in, you know, stocks and shares, cryptos, mm. bonds, sukus and all that. Because he feels that's not what he wants. Mm. Although that's the conventional wisdom of how you should invest. Right? Mm. Although he's an expert at that kind of investment. Yeah. Right. So for, for us, especially, you know, those in Singapore, Alhamdulillah, we do have people with, you know, good uh, income, good savings. Uh, are you looking to mainly make money and not but and not do haram in the process, right? Then you're thinking it will be different, mm-hmm. right? I want to grow my money and that's my number one priority by far. Mm-hmm. As long as it's halal, I'll do it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, then there are those who I want to put my money where I like, where I believe there will be baraka, which is uh, something you can, cannot calculate, right? And so you want to put it in helping companies grow, companies that you like, uh, founders that you like, projects that you like, and so on. And that is where crowdfunding comes uh, in. So for those who are looking for returns, mainly they do invest in crowdfunding because the returns are high, mm-hmm. but they know that the risk is different from investing in all these different financial products and insurance uh, pro- programs and all that. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are all in general quite, I guess you can say less risky. Mm-hmm. When you invest in a real company or a real world project, things can go wrong and things do go wrong sometimes. You may get good profit, so you may even lose your money. Mm-hmm. Right? So for those investors who are savvy and who are thinking of making money mainly, then they'll put and allocate a smaller portion to you know, crowdfunding projects. Yeah, but those who are focused on, I want my money to go to A, B, and C, and in the, in the process, I believe I can make money as well. And I'm not interested in the rest because they don't fulfill any deeper uh, motive mm-hmm. except for just being money-making. Uh, that's something that some people think. Uh, some people think that way. So when mm. you talk about crypto trading, uh, crypto so-called investing, uh, is the same concept that applies, right? Should your money be going into buying some random crypto online or even Bitcoin mm. and have zero impact in the real world, and you make money based on potentially the price going up, which is based on sentiment and nothing else? So if you think you're okay with that, you no, know, there are scholars who have said it's not haram, so you can do it, right? But if you think it's better that this money you earn with your sweat and you know hard work goes to something more fulfilling, which has more impact, which has more uh, you know character in that sense, uh, then uh, that's where crowdfunding can be a good option. Mm. Yeah. So there are plenty of, of options out there. It just depends on you know what is your main motivation for for really investing. Um and and I think it's given me a lot of clarity <laughs> on this. It's been a lot of things to think about. 
Yeah. Um, and I think your journey with Islamic finance has also come a long way. I think eight to nine years, I think that was a, that's a pretty long time to like, I would say, I wouldn't say get back on track, but like considering you said that um, your assets were taken away from you and then you started uh, learning about Islamic finance, etc. I think it's really amazing how you were able to pick yourself back up. Yeah. yeah. Despite the, the circumstances yeah. you were in. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, entrepreneurship is is, is like that. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. Because we had an, an, another episode with um with uh, also another entrepreneur, Peter Gold, from uh, Gold Studio, and you know he was also sharing like, starting a brand and the journey. Uh, so how was it for you? I'm sure it was challenging and not easy to to start something from scratch. Um, what, how was it for you? Uh, what are some of the challenges that you, you faced? Um, you ever doubt yourself, second-guessed mm. yourself? Um, what sort of advice would you give to budding entrepreneurs who are looking to, to create something similar? Sure. So I think, first of all, I'm going to say that I, I believe now is the best time ever for a young person to be an entrepreneur. Mm. Um, I'm not that young anymore. I started, <laughs> I was, uh, my first entrepreneurship stint was when I was in NS, when I was 18, which is 20 years ago. Mm. So since then, I've had various different businesses and initiatives that I've tried. Mm. Um, at that time, an 18-year-old, you know, a few 18-year-old uh, guys, me and my friends, went around trying to do a business and nobody took us seriously because you're kids. What are you trying to do? Um, now, if you're 18 year old and you start, th- you have a startup, you know, it's something cool. Right? Yeah. Cool alone is not sufficient, right? There's, there needs to be, I think the main thing is you need to have a lot of commitment uh, to your startup. It's a baby, mm. basically. So unless you can build a very good village around the baby, you will need to look after the baby yourself for as long as it takes until the baby can stand on its own feet or until you have good people, good teams around you that can help to, to manage the baby. Uh, but for as long as it needs to, to be done, the startup, the founder, uh, needs to have that tenacity to go through whatever challenges. You know? mm-hmm. um, for us, I think one thing that I learned um, is that when it comes to partnerships, when it comes to joint ventures or even investors coming into your company, because typically you can be a lone founder, but you will still need uh, investors, right? Or typically you're not a lone founder, you have you know two uh, two founders or three founders. Mm-hmm. I think that's more common. So either way, um, in the Muslim community, somehow we lack this kind of um, understanding of how to form partnerships. Mm-hmm. When I see, I mean, I'm just stereotyping, of course, right? Generalizing, right? When I see other communities, they tend to be more savvy on how to set up a fair partnership. For us, sometimes it's like sit down and like can I go pee? Or like, <laughs> you become a partner, lah, gitu ya. Four of us were there. We talked about it. Let's all four be partners. Twenty five percent. That is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Uh, because you, if you don't, if you don't think through the future with your partners, then when the future comes and not everybody is contributing the same then it's going to create conflict, right? Which is what we really want to avoid when you do business with others, especially friends. So that's mm. one thing I want to share that, that I learned along the way. Mm. Uh, Alhamdulillah, for our, for our own experience, it was a challenge, but we resolved it. You know, we sat down. We, of course, you can make everybody happy, but in the end, everybody accepted of how, how things should be moving forward. And Alhamdulillah, 
today we are all you know at peace with each other the other challenge that we encountered was getting in the wrong investors mm. people who came in for different agenda or they had different intentions than what we had so you know when you chase money as a startup founder it's not just money that's important you need to find money from the right people right. Uh, who want to support you in what you want to do if not you can even destroy your company mm. if you know they have a totally different direction or yep. it conflicts with what you want to do mm. yeah very sound advice i think um uh anyone who's who's looking to start up something i think it's really easy to uh get kind of uh, very excited yeah. about the whole entire venture that you exactly. forget to sit down to work out the details right have a direction mm-hmm. and i think even though these sort of challenges and things that you you come across are also lessons learned that uh unnecessary uh i don't think it's meant to be smooth sailing at all when you're starting out something i think you're meant to have some you know um yeah you're going to mess it up here and there but it's okay what's important is like your vision is clear you know uh what you're doing your nia again is is clear uh your intention truly is is for the better good of the community which is um what i see is what ethis um and global sadaka uh, is doing for the community yep. so it's really amazing and especially if you have a business or a, or a, a you know concept mm. um that has a deeper motivation behind it mm. uh there is something that can also help to build up the business because you get people to support you in the company and as customers as clients Uh, based on that mission or vision mm. like for us um alhamdulillah without much advertising or promotion because we never really had a budget um for most of our history we are just rolling zero i would mm. say so alhamdulillah um it grew organically and uh, so far we've had for the investment transactions we've had about 2000 investments done on the platform from you know more than 50 countries mm. and uh, this is new behavior in the muslim world i mean we assume most of them are muslim based on the names mm-hmm. um so it's quite it's quite cool that you know 20 people from 10 countries are investing in an indonesian project yeah uh, without going to indonesia without meeting us without even knowing what indonesia is like mm-hmm. uh, you know they have the confidence to invest uh, in companies in indonesia or malaysia so i mean there's really new new behavior i believe in the muslim world and um although the covid was a bit of a you know uncertain period for us but mm-hmm. at the tail end of last year things started picking up very rapidly so now we have you know high volume on both sides for fundraising and for investment Mm. That's good. And what's what's in store? I mean, now that you mentioned that uh we just finished Ramadan, so that was a very busy period for Global Sadaqa. Um uh, what what is uh you know what are the future plans, future plans for for Ethis, for Global Sadaqa, you know, um moving forward. Sure. I mean for for Global Sadaqa maybe I'll start with that. Mm. Um the key objective is to, you know, increase the efficiency effectiveness of social finance. Mm. Uh, Islamic social finance right uh, i'm not are you aware of uh, how much zakat there is moving around every year both our figures no <laughs> probably a very large figure okay, yeah it's pretty large it is, it is pretty large it's quite impossible to get the exact number of course but mm-hmm. according to the Islamic Development Bank research uh, unit it's mm-hmm. typically more than 500 billion dollars wow 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 globally every year possibly <laughs> money that has to go out right and i'm sure it increases so, every year where is, that, where is that money going to and why is the ummah still so you know mm. uh, in such a bad state yeah uh, this is to put things in comparison many many times more than combined international uh, aid 
right? Mm. So you know, how, why isn't that money making the the difference that it should or it could? Yeah. And no so this is where there's a lot of challenges and a lot of problems in the Muslim world. Some of it, you know, human issues, corruption, and so on. Some of it, system issues, lack of mm. efficiency. So we want to try and solve this in our own way. Um, by increasing transparency and accountability on the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but that's something that will take a long time and a lot of effort. Inshallah, Definitely. we can get a ripple effect. Yeah. But the other thing that we really want to do at Global Sedeca is to support more innovation and more interesting ideas, initiatives in the Muslim world. Um, for example, even um, there are some initiatives that came to us on um, social media experts who want to spread more good about Islam on social media, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and counter all the algorithms in mm-hmm. a sense or work with all the algorithms. So that's something that that can potentially be considered under zakat, right? Uh, but, you know, again, it's something a bit, a bit sensitive. Yeah. So uh, another example is doing uh, wakaf, right? Uh, digital wakaf. You do wakaf online mm-hmm. for an activity that makes income and the income goes to charity, right? So it becomes sustainable. So these are, you know, more, this, we, we're not the ones who came up with this. These ideas have always been there. Uh, but we want to, you know, implement uh, these ideas in the real world right now because mm-hmm. there's a lack of that happening. And for Ethis, um, essentially, we just need to scale up as quickly as we can because there's good demand on both sides. So mm-hmm. it's all up to how strong, how fast we can build our team and our mm-hmm. capacity and our technology to facilitate it because the need today is very big. Um, mm. people uh, need funds investors are looking to deploy funds so inshallah we can you know we can be in the middle of that mm. inshallah. Inshallah. inshallah are you looking to enter any new markets for Ethis? yes uh, we are working on um, I mean uh, we've not really announced it but uh, we're working on a so-called global license mm. uh, in a particular territory or jurisdiction that will allow us to raise funds if we want to for any country mm. right now for Malaysia we only can raise for Malaysian companies for Indonesia mm. we only can raise for Indonesian companies mm-hmm. so when a Singapore company or Cambodian company comes to us we can't we can't do anything right. Mm. right so now we are looking inshallah to have our global platform up and running by the end of this year mm. and that is uh, you know will open up the market for us so that we can we're not limited by by territory mm. that's actually a fantastic idea mm. yeah yeah I'm also looking forward to actually <laughs> all that plans coming mm-hmm. to fruition. So how can the listeners um, find you and find more about Ethis and if they are, what they want to be uh, raising funds or like whether they want to invest in different projects or be a part of the global Sedaka community, where can they find you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you just search for my name or Ethis or global Sedaka and I think our online presence is not too shabby. Mm-hmm. So Umar Munshi, just search for me on LinkedIn. Um, for Atheist, just search for Atheist on Google. Um, I, th- if you, I think the most important thing when somebody asks me in events or, or you know, podcasts, what should we do? What should people do? I think the most important thing is to take action. Because mm. you can listen to, you know, 100 talks like this, but if you don't take action, then, you know, after some time, you just forget. True. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you just shrug, like, oh, you caught me. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> Yeah, so take action and the easiest way to take action is just go on Global Sedeca because you can donate $1 or whatever amount mm. you want. That's good. Whereas for investment, yeah, investment will take a bit more consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just join our community by, you know, making your first donation on Global Sedeca. Mm. Yeah, and it, I think um, what I like about uh, crowdfunding 
crowdfunding platform is that you don't have to give 20, you don't have to give 50. If your amount, the amount that you can give is $1, you just give $1. Doesn't really matter. I think the, what matters is the, the niat and the effort. Yeah. In fact, the Prophet Wasallam he did have a very clear hadith. I, I can't paraphrase the exact hadith. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, small, consistent acts are mm. better. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I encourage, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, correct. All right. Thank you so much, Omar Munshi, for sparing some time for us today. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Thank you. <laughs> Anyways, guys, so don't forget to look out for uh, Global Sadaka and then as well for Ethics if you're interested in investing. But for now, uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. Um, go like and share this video if you haven't. Watch our previous episode if you haven't. But in the meantime, thank you so guys. Uh, thank you so guys. Thank, thank you, you guys so for watching. <laughs> <laughs> thank you and bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Alright guys, thanks for listening. So we'll see you on the next episode. Don't forget to give us a shout out on anchor.fm slash the Halal Travel Podcast. Your voice message could be featured in our next episode. Yep, and if you have any advertising and collaboration opportunities, contact us at info at halaltrip.com. That's I-N-F-O at H-A-L-A-L-T-R-I-P dot com. Also, don't forget to follow us on our Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Halal Trip. We're also now on Telegram and TikTok. Until next time, get inspired, go and inspire others. Mm-hmm.